1: gravis or lambert eden syndrome and medications including botulinum toxins as these may increase the risk of serious side effects for full safety information visit botoxcosmetic.com or call eight seven seven three five one zero three zero zero. 351
0: see for yourself at botoxcosmetic.com
2: there's literally a sound of big arm laughter and that was just it <laughs> <laughs> hello again and welcome this is episode 13 of the paul rider tapes i'm angela smith the ex-wife of paul rider founding member and bass player of manchester legends happy mondays paul sat down with me to tell his complete life story with no stone left unturned and opened up about his successes and his struggles with incredible bravery then just 12 days after we finished recording he suddenly passed away. Coming up in this episode... You never got paid for that.
3: Never got paid for that. (laughs) Like everything, really, in my life. Never get paid for it.
4: (laughs) He came up with great ideas, and I just thought, if you're going to do that lyrically in the band with Big Arm, then it's going to be a really good journey.
5: He had a black cape on and a black hat and black shades and a cane. Yeah. And he walked (laughs) in and he said... uh, well, you look like you've done a bit, so if you won't mind, fuck off, so we could do a bit. And I'm looking, thinking, yeah. this magic actor's got a terrible <laughs>
3: attitude.
5: I didn't have a clue that he was a singer.
6: Paul, of course, would be sick at the side of the stage before he went on every single night, because
3: he would always stay fright. good being the house band. Yeah. You don't have to play a full song.
2: So we left off the last episode where Paul had left the Mondays in the year two thousand, and we just bought a big house in France that needed a ton of work doing on it. So we bought the house, did it up, went back to England, and um, you were ready to do some more music at this point.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell yeah. me about that. Um, I was ready to do something. Didn't know what I was going to do. Then I got in touch with an old mate of mine, Pete Smith, who's a great engineer and a great uh, musician in his own right. Um, I got, he, I'd done some work with him years before.
2: Pete had worked with Paul on the tracks that he did with his ex-girlfriend, Donovan's daughter, Estrella, a few years before. So that made him a natural choice to collaborate with again.
7: I just got a call out of the blue and he said, "Um, yeah, I'm building a studio and uh, you know, I want to write some tunes. So I was, I mean, to be honest, I was a bit like, all right, here we go again. Uh, But it's Paul, so you can't say no, can you? So I I came down to uh, Worsley uh, to see a garage, which definitely wasn't a studio at the time, um, but had potential. And I can remember him saying, yeah, we're going to have a big mural on the wall here. We're going to have a a really cool... And I've got some... I've got these soundproofing things from the Hacienda. And I've got this sampler and all this kind of stuff. So I was like, right, okay, well, there's work to do, but I guess, yeah, we we can get going.
2: You actually were doing some work with him for me, for my TV shows. You were writing theme tunes with him. And it just so happens that I have a few of these TV themes in our archive. So let's have a listen to some of the highlights of what they wrote.
3: Is that how we got in touch again? I think, so, I think yeah. that, yeah, I was, you're right, you're right. That's how I got in touch with him again after years of not seeing him. And then we, we decided we'd write an album mm-hmm. and um, get a band together, which we did. We found, through Rob F., who was our builder at the time, oh, round about that, yeah. at that time, um, I found Danny, the drummer, great drummer. Great musician as well.:
8: I think it was in 2002 uh, when a mutual friend, uh, Rob Farrington, introduced the two of us. I used to house show with Rob, and uh, obviously he knew that I was a musician and was always banging on about you know how he knew Paul and you need to meet him, and maybe you could end up working with him at some point. So uh, I think Rob managed to drag him along to a gig, a nearby gig that I was doing, a local gig somewhere. I think it was in Bamber Bridge of all places, in Preston. And uh, in Wartpaw, I was like, oh, yeah, there we go. And um, I got chatting to him and he mentioned that he was doing some music with Pete. Would you like to, you know, get involved with that? So I came along, did a bit
7: of singing, playing guitar, some drums. And then I knew Daz uh, from previous things, so I was like, oh, I've got a guitarist guy.
2: And Pete Smith was the one who brought the guy who would become the guitarist in Big Arm, Daz Gilkinson, to the table.
5: I was in a a studio at Whitworth.
2: And Daz initially was only going along to meet Paul and Pete to support a friend.
5: And um, one night, the lad who ran the studio got a phone call off Pete Smith asking, if he'd come down and do some backing vocals. So I think he asked me just to come along with him as a bit of support. Anyway, when we got down there, I met Pete um, and there were some guitars there. So Pete just said, why don't you have a go? So I got up and had a go and the lad who'd come with me didn't even open his mouth. (laughs) So then about uh, two hours into the night, then Paul walks in so I didn't even recognise him at all, you know, it was just like, you, well, um, mate. But then, well, after 10 minutes, you, he's great then, isn't he? <laughs> you know? See, I was a bit of a rocker as a young'un, but my brother was completely Manchester. So when I went back and told him, and he's just like, he, he mouth dropped. You know, do you know who he is? And I'm it, well, no, don't, no, don't really. <laughs> then he filled in the gaps and showed me some footage and played some music and it was like, oh, all right, I know what you mean. But I'm really glad I didn't know that before I met him. We <laughs> were asking him what, what his plan were um, about this. And and I, uh, he said that at this time, um, we were experimenting. I think that was the main thing they were up to really. There were a lot of vinyl being played and I like that bit and I like that bit and, you know, they were looking for the groove, weren't they, I think is the best way to term it.
2: Who was the friend that you went down there with? And what happened to him? Why did he not sing?
5: No gooners. So it was just a case of that. Can you come down and do a bit? Can you do a bit? And I ended up doing a bit and he didn't do anything. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah. and how did he feel about not doing anything
5: well he didn't actually say anything all the way home as well I think when we were driving home we realised how jealous he we were that what I'd just
3: done
2: <laughs> Lee Mullen was also in Big Arm he, of was, he was on course, that tour. yeah, yeah. Lee,
3: Lee on percussion yeah. Lee ended up playing with um, George Michael yeah great percussionist. Kate Bush. And Kate Bush? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know he did Kate Bush. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A shout-out to Lee Mullen, great percussion yeah. player. nice guy as well. Yeah, yeah, genuine guy.
4: Paul and I come to work together again with Big Arm, which I jumped at the chance anyway, but because, not just because of Paul, of who he was, but because Paul of, of what a great just, he had great ideas and, and You know, and and he was such a real funky person, you know, I'd like to call him a funky person because he played really groovy bass lines, you know, that he came up with great ideas. And I just thought, if you're gonna do that lyrically in the band with Big Arm, then it's gonna be a really good journey, you know. Um, So it wasn't even an audition with Big Arm, it was just like you're in the band, you know came to see me, he came to see me in, a, in the music shop in Johnny Roadhouse Music and said, Lee, I've been looking to, trying to get hold of you, will you come and play some percussion with my band, Big Arm? And I just said, yes, yeah, straight away. There was no, like, I'm not sure if I can do
3: it. Yeah. So we had a full band, that guy's, uh, So, it, Pete was doing a lot of the music and I did the lyrics, never wrote lyrics before in my life. Um, well, it was more like proving a point that I could still do stuff. Right. Very much like proving a point.
2: And uh, tell me about the name of the band and where that came from.
3: That was Ian Brown's name for me. was big arm. Um, Why? Because um, he said all oh, my bass lines were sounded really big from a big arm. <laughs> 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 so he just kind of stole A lot of big arms are kind of a cool name. It comes from, uh, comes from Ian's mouth.
2: Yeah. Phil Sachs, the original Monday's manager, suggested a female backing singer, Monica, who did join the band for a while, and he was worried about Paul being the front person.
6: I did think at the time, you know, Paul, don't be the finger. You know, yeah. have your own band. Well, you know, it can be your own band. You don't have to be the finger.
0: He did have to be the
2: singer. I, think.
6: I appreciate that now, yeah. He
2: had a point to prove, I think.
6: Yeah, but in yeah. fact, it's a little bit like Liam and Noel, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, the two brothers, they very, very similar. I put them on in the city.
2: You did? I remember that. Yeah. In, the, in the Chapel Street, that pub.
6: Yeah, that's right. And The Darkness played there as well.
2: The Darkness played the same night?
6: Downstairs, on the small stage. They hated me for that, The Darkness. <laughs>
2: Danny Short, the big arm drummer, remembers that night well.
8: Our first gig was at the King's Arms in Salford for the uh, Battle of the Bands uh, like in the city. The King's Arms was like a derelict building at the time. It, was, uh, it had been closed down and it had been opened up specifically for that, um, that gig. And um, I just remember it being packed to the rafters full of these... Uh, dodgy types you know and <laughs> but it was it was a really good atmosphere you know and i remember when we were sound checking i remember um the sound man said to me uh, okay can we have your bass drum danny so i hit the bass drum one two three and all this dust came down from the rafters and just covered everyone in in muck you know <laughs> was...
2: can, can you think of any any names that he came up with for people? I know that the driver, he, he Chris and... Uh, do you remember the, Chris, the driver? Yeah,
8: yeah, yeah. Double Pudding. <laughs> Double Pudding and chips, yeah. <laughs> Which was uh, Chris's favourite dish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was a character.
2: But in the meantime, Chris, a.k.a. Double Pudding, has lost some weight. And former Mondays and Big Arm percussionist Lee Mullen has a new name for him.
9: He's now Single Pudding. Single Pudding, no chips or peas. I was a driver roadie for Big Arm for around about two and a half years. And uh, Paul nicknamed me. I was known in Big Arm as Double Pudding and Chips because back then I was 20 stone, basically. And I loved that nickname. A lot of people would've got a smack off me for that nickname, but Paul gave me that nickname and I loved it. If they would've made a carry-on film about a band, (laughs) that was it. Being in Big Arm, being in and around Big Arm, what with Danny Short and all the lads. And Paul had his moments, he was hilarious. I remember at the Water Rats one, Angela, uh, Paul had a little treat for me and... uh, and it was meeting Paul Cook out the Sex Pistols because I'm a big punk rocker and a drummer as well. Mm. And I know was a big idol, and he, he, he said someone's coming to this gig tonight, Double Pudding, and they want they want to, and and you're going to meet him. And I know it was Paul Cook, and I was just blown away, you know, Oh, it, just amazing. I was a little bit of a mess, really, you know. I was a bit, a bit sort star-struck. of a bit starstruck, you know. Amazing. you Paul!
2: <laughs> Love you!
9: <laughs>
2: Big-arm drummer Danny Shaw never had any problems making Paul smile as he happens to be a really great impersonator.
8: He's one of them, Paul. He was he was kind of, um, you know, he was easy to make laugh. He, you know, he's quite a humorous fella and um, Paul always encouraged everyone to be humorous and... <laughs> Have a laugh and a joke, you know. And you used to love your, your funny voices, I
2: remember.
8: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the impersonations are always a nice breaker, aren't they, you know?
4: <laughs> he did impressions of every one of us, Every didn't one he? of every us. Every one of us, yeah. Well, I used to be able to do one of Pete. <laughs> <laughs> he did Pete, amazing. He did Pete better than Pete. Brilliant. Well, you know, he talks a bit like that, don't you know, so...
7: I'm not going to say it's easy, Um Well, you know, he talks a bit like that, don't you,
8: you know, so... Now, don't you you go. I was telling him that, anyway. (laughs) And I remember Lee Mullin, the percussion player, Lee, talks a bit like that, don't you? How you doing, mate? Hey! Really good, thanks. Yeah, really good. Paul was a big fan of The Simpsons. I always remember when we used to be recording and stuff, you know, he, he'd always have Simpsons on in the background. Uh,
6: well, of course you've got uh, Miss Monty Burns, haven't you? You know?
8: And of course you've got Smithers and stuff like that. You know, yeah, come on, March. you know, and stuff. Just little icebreakers like that, you know, and Paul would always, like, do this massive belly laugh, you know, which uh, was, uh, you know, really nice. You know, it always, um, always kind of, like, um, helped to warm the atmosphere, you
2: know. Big Arm got to support Ian Brown on two different tours. Daz was in an Oasis tribute band called Wonderwall and was playing with that band the night before the first gig with Ian.
5: The first gig we did with Ian Brown was uh, Brayhead Arena in Scotland. I think it's about 20,000 people or something. So the night before I'd been in Birmingham doing a massive gig, as far as I was concerned, (laughs) And uh, there were about three and a half thousand there, and uh, we get to the Ian. But we went straight from that gig. I brought Wonderwall with me, and we went straight to that gig. And I walked on the stage, and the stage was bigger than the venue I'd played in the night before. And that was a bit of a (laughs) hoo. But as soon as the music started, oh yes, oh yeah, I felt well at home. It was amazing. I mean, to be fair. Ian giving us them two shots was fantastic, wasn't it? To get us out there, you, you couldn't ask for more.
2: And so Pete, Daz and Danny all came together to reminisce about the good old Big Arm days.
7: I've got two great memories, right, from that night. The first one is when we're sat in catering and Ian Brown comes in and he goes over to the table and he's, like, looking around and he's like... Like, Where's my fucking pie? Who's the old Miss Grant? He right. stumbles out through this door, yeah. shuts the door behind him, and then like about ten seconds later he comes out and says, It's a cupboard. How'd <laughs> you get out of this fucking building? <laughs>
8: Sorry, can I swear? Am I alright to swear? <laughs> Complete you know, okay. guy. That's what he said. I remember uh, me and Lee kind of like <laughs> don't yeah. laugh, don't yeah. laugh, and I even remember pausing say just don't just leave it you know just say. You know, <laughs> the, the other, the other memory
7: it. from that gig was like uh so we come on stage and i was like oh, i've made it good here. i'm mm. in a band i'm supporting ian brown <clears> so it's like six thousand cap i'm like mm. this is gonna be great so go to play the first song, <laughs> someone launched like a drink at me and it was like one of those Blue Wicked drinks or something. Oh, yeah. Just yeah, coated yeah. me a tie keyboard. just <laughs> like really sticky. And it's going like, to be one of those nights. I was, like, oh, I'll just yeah. put it on track. <laughs> <laughs> Let it dry up, up, it doesn't spark. Sparks coming off it. Like, oh, that's <laughs> that then, isn't it?
6: <laughs>
7: Cleaning it for oh, days. Oh,
5: dear me. The crosses we have to burn, playing live. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I remember that. Um, I can't remember which one it was um, mm. with Ian Brown. And Paul had obviously told Ian Brown about Danny's mimicking skills. Yeah. So yeah. then Ian Brown comes rushing into dressing the dressing room. room. Who's yeah. the mimic? Who's the mimic? Who's then? the mimic? Who's the mimic? So yeah. Danny, Danny here goes, go on then. So he does Jules Holland, amazing. Introduces Ian Brown on Jules Holland. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it.
10: Ian
11: Brown. Yeah. <laughs> Time
3: since you last worked with the roses. So like, yeah, yeah. And he was like, "Oh, fucking great, man, great, great." And then, as soon as he walked
5: out and shut the door, Daddy started doing Ian Brown. This <laughs> is getting very confusing.
2: Tell me about your friendship with Ian Brown.
3: Great guy. When when Chico got really ill, which we'll talk about later, yeah, um, with cancer. You know, he was more like a brother to me than my own brother, which is difficult to say. You know, not once did my own brother say, I was Chico, and still all these years later he's never asked.
2: But Sean was really good helping with the fundraiser that we had for Chico, so we've got to give him credit for that, but we'll come to that later.
3: Ian was like a brother to me at the time, you know, and I was seeing quite a lot of him.
2: Yeah, so by this time we'd had a second child, Chico
3: Chico, Who was
2: born 19 months after our oldest child, Sonny And and weirdly, the age gap between Sonny and Chico Mm. Is exactly the same as the age gap between you and Sean Spooky How did you feel about that?
3: Oh, God, I was worried for them I was worried for both of them, Chico and Sonny yeah, um, But, God, they've turned out really good.
2: Yeah. We didn't have to worry, did we? They never fought once,
3: really. No, no. If they did,
2: it was for, like, one minute, and then yeah. they were fine then again. Yeah, then there was
3: great mates again, and they're yeah. still great mates. It's yeah. beautiful to see. Yeah. It's a lovely thing to see them getting along.
2: Yeah. Actually, you, you also, during that time, played bass for Ian Brown.
3: I did, yeah, on a for few shows. Yeah. I played... Um, I think I went on and did three songs where the bass player... Put these bass down and played trumpet or some kind right. of. Um, it was some, a trumpet. It was yeah. A trumpet, yeah. And I would come on and, and do these three songs, yeah. which was great for getting me back on stage. Yeah. You know, I hadn't done it for years. Yeah. And, and that was the way I got back into doing live music. Yeah. Thanks to Ian. Yeah.
2: So, Big Arm, tell me about that album.
3: Um, I like it. I've just recently revisited it. And it, I think it's really good. I know it was really
2: good, wasn't it? Yeah,
3: yeah. And we deleted after a thousand copies, so I think it yeah, might be time, time to, to re-release. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, we went to we we went to New York with the boys mm-hmm. and decided to shoot a video.
3: Yeah. Great video, and you did that. I know. Thank you. You're welcome.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Flashbacks. Flashbacks. And there was a. It made the papers actually. Ooh. Um, We were walking around the East Village and the whole concept of the video was you wandering around the streets of the East Village of of New York.
3: Would you have to have permission to film? We had no permission. No, we
2: were just doing it guerrilla style. Mm -hmm. And at one point, talk about the the thing that happened. The cop car. The
3: the cop car came along and I said, shoot the cops.
2: In a really loud voice, shoot the cops!
3: Like, shoot them as in film them. <laughs> and uh, I think they took umbrage to it, didn't they?
2: I think they misunderstood slightly. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it all worked out okay in the uh, end. But it was all over the papers. Yeah,
3: shoot the cops. I meant, I just meant film the cops.
2: Yeah, we but, nearly uh, got arrested. <laughs> yeah, don't shout
3: shoot the cops loud in New York.
2: And the crew consisted of our sons, Sonny and Chico, who were about six and seven at the time. In fact, Chico gets caught in one of the shots carrying a tripod. (laughs) And that single was released to great critical acclaim. In Spiral Carpet's legend, radio DJ and all-round lovely human Clint Boone was a champion of the song from the start.
10: The first time I came across the Mondays was, I think it was January of... um, 85 and new order were doing a couple of gigs around the north of england so one was in blackburn and then the night after they played in leeds at tiffany's and i think the band that played in blackburn were called um blue in heaven and then and then the band that played in leeds the next night i'd never heard of them they were called happy mondays And I thought, I wonder if this is a bit of a trick, like because it's like Blue in Heaven and Happy Mondays. It's like Happy in Heaven and Blue Monday. So I thought, is this this like a little New Order sort of gag? Anyway, there were two completely different bands. Happy Mondays that night was just like nothing I'd I'd ever seen. It was just like a bunch of lads waiting for a buzz, but making music at the same time. It just looked so ramshackle and... And the way they dressed, it was like they were just—they they looked like they'd not got dressed up to do the gig, you know. What I mean, just they, these were the clothes that just worn through the day, tracksuits and whatever else. And so I was smitten with the band from the first time I saw them. They are some of my favourite people in the world are in that band, and now you know, and Paul was one of them, you know. Um, yeah. And over the years, I always remember him being just a dead solid geezer. At the time when he had a big arm. I got the feeling that he needed help with that band. I think. People would have preferred him to still be working with the Mondays, but he wanted to get that out of his system and he did so. And he put out some great tracks and I had the pleasure of getting him on uh, XFM a couple of times on my evening show, it was at the time. Um, yeah, I mean, what a great man. What a great man what, what a great musician. I think he's going to go down in, uh, in the history books as one of the great musicians of this, this part of the world and certainly of that genre.
2: And then we, we did another video for Sunrays, which was a great summer tune, wasn't great it? Great
3: summer tune, Sunrays, yeah. I listened to that one the other day as well. Yeah. It was great. what album.
2: you mixed the album in France. You, you went to the house in France, didn't yeah, you? Who was yeah. that with?
3: The one and only John Pennington, yeah. great engineer. First met John when he was like just 17 at Strawberry Studios. He was like the in-house engineer there. Yeah. And uh, he's a, quite a genius at, at his job. Yeah. And we mixed it um, in France in the living room.
12: Paul was really um, proactive in that respect. So I'd be, I'd be putting these tracks together and make it sound good. He'd come in, listen to me and say, John, wow, this is great, you know, it's just exactly where we want to go. And we talk about, you know, what what we wanted it to be or what what was needed. I said, hey, Mm -hmm. Paul, it'd be nice if we put a bass line on this or I'd try, you know, a new bass line. Did he
2: play the bass on that album?
12: Yeah, there was a a few songs that he did. Um, I mean, the original songs had his bass on them anyway. We just, we'd reuse them. And sometimes the, the song needed something a bit more than a bass Mm-hmm. So sometimes it became a bit more electronic than, than mm-hmm. it would have been, but that was the groove of the, mm-hmm. of the style of the, the thing that came out. Similar to what we did with the Happy Mondays, was where he kind of listened to a song, and said, oh, that bass line's great, and try and make his own. And that's mm-hmm. the great thing about Paul, is he's very, very good at, he was very good at um, um, making things his own. There'd be a daily trip to go out to get baguettes and uh, some nice cheese and some vegetables, and Paul would be uh, Paul would be the chef because he, you know, he knew that I'd be working on the tracks all day,
2: and he did. A remix of Sunrays, and everybody yeah. thought it was because he used to work for Moby. Everybody that the rumor was on the streets that it was Moby's remix. Oh, I didn't know that. But it was actually that. Moby's producer's yeah. remix.
3: Yeah, twenty odd years he worked for Moby.
2: Yeah, yeah. He
3: was a great engineer, great, great musician yeah. as well.
2: And that song was played a lot in Ibiza that summer, I believe. Oh, really? Sunrays. So
12: I think it would had a night, and basically, you know, went with a couple of bottles of Guinness or whatever it would have been probably French wine. Do
2: you remember what the brief was? Ibiza. Okay. <laughs> Do you remember why we called you Gianni pa- <laughs> Panatoni? Because
12: it was like sounded Ibiza. It
2: sounded Italian. It, it sounded <laughs> Italian,
12: yeah. Um,
2: Gianni is Johnny and Panatoni an is name. Penningtoni. <laughs> it's like very similar to he your name. you got to come up name. with another name, yeah. <laughs> It was kind of a very Ibiza kind of vibe. The remix.
3: I'm going to have to revisit that one.
2: Really good. It's on the on the single. We've still got a few left, I think. Oh. But yeah, we released it and then we de-released it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: We de-released it because we had a plan to re-release it sometime in the future, and that future is just about now. It's available digitally any day now, and we also do have a few physical CD copies of the two singles and the album. But you did quite a lot of gigs, big arm gigs, didn't you? Yeah,
3: we did a tour, which was great. supported Ian. Oh, you supported
2: Ian Brown. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. The Glasgow show was great. Um, Yeah, the Glasgow show was really good.
2: When the big arm boys get together, there's always tons of laughter.
3: (laughs) <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh, I remember those laughs. I rem- like there's a there's literally a sound of big arm laughter, and that was just it. Yeah, yeah. It's like a trio of giggles. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously, that's like really weird. That's like really familiar and strange, and something I've not heard for a long time.
3: <laughs>
2: it really is. That was the sound of, of, of Big Arm on the road in the in the van with double Tuddy. <laughs> yeah. It was. That was what it was all about.
8: Yeah, yeah.
2: Do you remember? Do you remember that gig that where Pete was late, and and you had to go on stage before Pete got there, and Derek had? I a, do.
8: Bristol D- Academy. D- Derek D- reviving. Academy.
2: Do you remember when you, when uh, Pete was late, Pete was at programming on keyboards Mm -hmm. and your dad, who was the tour manager,
3: had to stand
2: in for Pete He was
3: (laughs) pressing buttons and pretending to play the keyboards Yeah, and And then Pete Pete... walked on like halfway through the show (laughs) Took over like surreptitiously Proper spinal tap
7: (laughs) Listen right, you've, you, I lived through that. <laughs> was do, you an academy, wasn't do, do, yeah, you yeah. know the academy once, yeah. Do you know the best? The best thing about that, right, was um, so i I think I was. Uh, I was doing a. I was fit in the kitchen like in the morning, yeah. and, and it overran. That's why I was late, and I had to finish it because it was just like there's no way I could kind of get out of it. But. Um, so it was all, like, really super stressful and all the rest of it, right? So I get the train to London, and then I get on the Tube, and uh, I've never got off the Tube in Brixton before. So it's like, you know when you come off the Tube in Brixton? There's, like, loads yeah. of steps, in there? And then you just come out onto the main street, and it's like, whoa! <laughs> and um, anyway, so I'm coming up these steps, and Chris is at the top of the steps, and he's like, quick, come on! <laughs> right? So I'm running down the street... <laughs> I'm running down the main, the high street in Brixton, like, following Chris, like, trying to run down the street and all the rest of it, and then we, we kind of legged it in the, um, in the stage door, and he's, like, shoving me through, and then on the stage, and I put my bag down at the back of the stage, I walked on, took my coat off, put my coat down, tapped Derek on the shoulder, <laughs> he got up and walked off and I sat down and thanks started... Was it
2: the first song that you got? Was it was it the middle of the first song?
7: I think so, yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. Oh, my goodness, your heart must have been pounding.
7: Well, it was nuts because it was like Brixton Academy with, like, however many thousand people in there. Yeah. It was just like... And oh, were you
2: and, and the rest of the band not panicking? No.
7: No. <laughs> no,
5: no. We knew he'd get there. No, no, we knew he'd get there.
8: No, no, no. Plenty of time, you know. No. Chris is a good driver. He, he knows his way around, you know. Quick! Bait. <laughs> yeah, get in bait. Come wrong on, you've got to late.
9: Run faster. For God's sake. <laughs> they needed man and van, and I was that man and van.
2: Your dad must have been doing something because he had to press go. Oh,
11: yeah,
9: yeah.
3: He did his bit.
11: Yeah.
3: It's a good job he was there. Yeah.
11: Derek's family wasn't like my family. And he didn't get opportunities. He didn't get back up off his parents and what have you. And he always said he never wanted to be like that. He would, you know, let his own children... If they wanted to do something, it would bat them 100%. And we went
2: to, we went to Berlin. Do you remember oh, going to yeah. Berlin? Yeah. To play something to do with British... British Embassy. Or British Embassy or we something.
3: played in a, in a big room in the British yeah. Embassy for, for like this music seminar thing that was going on in Berlin.
2: The band flew, but Paul's dad, Derek, Big Arms tour manager, drove all the gear to Berlin with double pudding.
9: Me and Derek had to drive all the equipment over to Berlin while the band flew out. And uh, right. that was uh, a journey and a half. And uh, I always would be a massive cherished memory that. I learnt yeah. so much off that man.
2: So what did you get up to on the journey?
9: Just uh, his humour and pointing out all the characters, and uh, how we got on with everybody. And then we watched the cabaret on the ferry. And, <laughs> and you can imagine us two there, Max and Paddy, like two bank robbers, watching the cabaret. We used to drive to London a lot, yeah, yeah, yeah. do a lot of yeah. one-off gigs. because yeah. We were working yeah. hard. There was a little period yeah. there where we were working very hard. Yeah. And uh, I used to get back to Manchester sometimes. It'd be four, five, six 5, 6 a.m dropping everybody off. I got all the way back to my house in Oldham, stopped the van and realised I still had Daz Gilkinson asleep on the, on the <laughs> behind the driver's seat. Yeah. I I just closed my eyes and off I go. And I went off. <laughs> and f- yeah. And I had to then wake him up, <laughs> I, Daz and drive him all the way back to Haywood. So that was me in bed. And that was quite a common occurrence with Daz. Mm-hmm.
2: And Daz has vivid memories of clashing with someone in the dressing room at one of their gigs.
9: Oh, right,
5: there's a good one, the Metro. <laughs> Zodiac Mind we Warp. We played with Zodiac br- Mind Warp. Uh, so we'd we done our spot, which went down great, and then we're in the dressing room, just mopping our brows and getting ready to go. <laughs> and this... this uh, magician looking fella walks in mm. and he had a black cape on and a black hat and black shades and a yeah. cane yeah. and he walks in <laughs> and he said uh, well you look like you've done a bit so if you want mine fucking off so we could do a bit and mm. I'm looking thinking yeah this magic actor has got a terrible <laughs>
0: attitude.
5: I didn't have a clue that he was a singer. <laughs> Just click your fingers and. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Uh, anyway, Paul stood towards at toe and give it him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, me and Danny went upstairs yeah. thinking, I'm not standing with this prick. No, and no. then Paul come up and we went. I said, How hey, did you don't. know him? And he goes, I don't know him. <laughs> Oh, all right. I thought you knew him, that's why I'd walked out. <coughs> I Talk about re- backup. Yeah. back up. Yeah.
8: Good luck, Paul. I always remember Paul saying, uh, cos he said, didn't he, no, fuck <coughs> off, and Paul yeah. said,
5: if you say fucking please, I will. He, he was, was a singer. lead singer.
8: Lead singer. Yeah. Whatever his name so is. So he,
5: he was absolutely horrible, and then one of his crew come up to me about an hour later and said, listen, mate, is there any chance we uh, we could borrow your guitar amp? oh <laughs> really? Yeah, hours has gone <laughs> down. Oh, has it? <laughs> You're so, going down too. so I thought, right, I'm going back in then. So I went down into the changing room and they were all there, and he sees me again. Oh, Hello, one of them. And one uh, of the <laughs> lads just went, "You need to shut up." He's going to lend us some equipment. Yeah. So he we was like, "Oh, yeah, I'll stare at him instead then." <laughs> I remember I met
8: a sex pistol that night. Paul Cook, comes and, and in the us. audience. Yeah. And yeah. so was Ian Astbury from the Cult. That's right. Well. He was DJ. He was. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
5: Yeah, yeah he he was, right. I was sat talking mm. to him for ages mm. and then we left and Paul said you haven't got a clue of that word have you and I went no why are
3: you
5: I remember playing on stage and there was actually a light shining on Paul Cook and you could
3: see
8: his face really really vividly it's like there's a sex pistol oh God, a sex pistol
4: bloody oh hell
3: all nice guys, lovely to work with. It was
2: a nice vibe, wasn't it? Yeah, between everybody. Really I good vibe. Say that, yeah. Mm. And Daz Gilkinson had an Oasis tribute band, didn't yeah. he?
3: Yeah, he was Noel Gallagher in the yeah. Oasis tribute <laughs> band.
2: Wasn't there a gig that you did at but not Butley, the Pontins? Oh, no. there was a Pontins gig. Really? And I think he played as well as the Oasis tribute band on the same bill. Oh, that's I funny. I
3: can't remember. That's funny. I guess it ended up in Pontings.
2: Well, during this time, let's talk about what was going on with the Mondays. So you'd left. I'd left. And what happened after no that? No Mark
3: Day, no PD, no Paul rider. Gaz was hanging on in there. Yeah. And Sean got...
2: But Rowetta was still... Was she still there then?
3: To a certain point, yeah. Yeah,
2: and then she left because she had a fight with Sean.
3: Yeah, she? yeah. Sean has fights with everyone.
2: So it was just left that it was Bez, Gaz, Sean.
3: Yeah, and a couple of session players. Yeah. And they just drove it into the ground.
2: And then Gaz eventually left, and your yeah. son Jacob. Yeah. Took over on drums for a while, didn't Jacob he? Jacob
3: drummed for a while. That's wasn't he? It was great to see my son drumming. Yeah. And I I went to watch them in L.A. I know, I remember that. It was a very strange experience.
2: Okay, so during that time, um, there was a film being made Mm -hmm. called 24-Hour Party People. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Tell us about that.
3: I really liked it.
2: It was a great script, wasn't it? Great
3: script, yeah. Lots of exaggeration.
2: It was during that time that Paul met actor Paul Popplewell, who was given the job of playing Paul Ryder in the film. Your knees in? Does that matter? No, I'll
13: put my knee down.
2: Look, just check the shot with my glasses.
13: And is that in my, in my eye line a bit wide there, though?
2: I'm going to sit I'm right looking... next to
13: okay.
2: the camera. You
13: can tell I'm an actor, can't you?
2: Professional. I
13: don't know about that, but I'm just on my eye line. Oh.
2: Do you want to, not, why do you want to wear your sunglasses? I don't,
13: I've just been like silly.
2: Does it feel weird that this is where we did the podcast, that's where Paul used to sit, and that's where I used to say it, It's quite
13: it? sad, actually. That it is, just, isn't um, it? Yeah, and then he cried again. We're both kind
2: yeah. of criers, aren't we?
13: I'm a crier, yeah. I never used to be, but I am now. Uh...
2: I wonder what that, what is it about life that makes us want to cry? she do you think? I
13: don't know. I don't know, I just over the over the years I've got much more comfortable being my authentic self. I'm an actor and I'm in my mid forties now. But when I was in my early twenties, I landed a dream role of playing Paul Ryder in the film Twenty Four Hour Party People. And having been a Mondays fan, it was it was a dream job.
2: But the rock and roll mums, Paul and Sean's mum Linda and Gaz Whelan's mum Sandra weren't too impressed with the film what aspect of it did you not like well were there again when they blamed the mundis for the closure
11: of factory that all was really great yeah
14: yeah when i really
11: knew right. that wasn't that wasn't true but you've got um, to you just go along with it
2: yeah
11: uh, otherwise you'd turn yourself gray i went to see it and i remember we they were filming in uh Kent Close, where we used to live. But they didn't use our actual house because it went round like that and they couldn't get the camera van down. So they used house on Weaver Avenue.
13: Me and Danny, who played Paul and Sean, hit it off like that. In fact, the first day we ever met in the rehearsal room in Ancoats, we were supposed to be having a band rehearsal and we just... Worked our way through a few crates of Red Stripe, I think, <laughs> or Stella, or something like that, and it, it became like a running joke that it was like yeah. methadone acting. <laughs> Not that anybody took methadone, but you know what I mean. It was like a tongue in cheek thing because we were we were partying, and um, and Rowetta took us under her wing big time.
11: I didn't dislike it. I mean, you just accept it, don't you? I enjoyed it.
14: I just thought it was crap. No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. I don't know. I, I just didn't. I don't know. I mean, the music part in it I liked, but the rest I thought, hmm, it's a load of nonsense. I, I'm not very patient, am I?
13: She said, I'm going to get you to meet Paul. And we went to your house in Worsley, didn't we? Yeah. And me and Danny were worse for wear. Yeah. Which, which has always bothered me really knowing <laughs> what I know about Paul now but I, you know it was a world I didn't know about like uh, that, that he didn't drink at the time um, and we turned up pretty much out of it I think we'd been in the dry bar all day and Rowetta picked us up and said, he'll, he'll see you later. And, and we I think we even brought beers into your house and we sat there drinking them.
2: What did you think of Steve Coogan's portrayal of Tony Wilson?
13: I thought it was very good. Yes,
2: that was excellent. I thought was. it was very yes, good. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So if you were a film critic and you had to sum up the film in one sentence, what would you say about the film? Not bad. Um,
14: well, I don't Disappointing, I don't know. No, I
11: wasn't disappointed. Not, yeah, I wasn't, no, yeah. I just,
13: I just laughed. Yeah. Man, you, I laugh at weird things. So, but well, it was a massive thing for us because we were fans of the band, and also we were really, we were taking it quite seriously yeah. about wanting to do everybody justice and not be yeah. caricatures and not, not kind of, you know, get it right. To the point where I came out saying to Danny, I know I need, I need to tone it down, he's quite quiet and he's quite shy and, like, you know, he's not brash and loud. And to the point where sometimes on set I would be doing less and, and, mm-hmm. and in between takes I'd be pissing about and fooling about. I remember putting one of the lads face in a pie one day or something in mm-hmm. between a take and Michael said, do that on camera. But when the camera was rolling, I would tone it down a bit because right. that may be a bit more Paul.
2: What about
11: uh, Paul's performance as the, the drug dealer? Goutster. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! <laughs> I did laugh at that. Well, it was fiction, wasn't it? You're taking notice of it, it's fiction.
13: It was all pretty much improvised. I mean, Frank Cottle Boyce wrote a brilliant script. Yeah. But it was pretty much a, a base starting point. I mm. think we... Mm. I think we shot for a 90-minute, two-hour film. I think we shot over 200 hours of footage.
3: Wow. I
13: could be wrong there. I know it was a silly amount and it was multi-camera. There was a lot of cameras, I seem to remember. It was handheld a lot of the time, I think. Yeah. I mean, you've got to remember, we were were partying hard, so it's a bit hazy for us.
2: So 24-hour party people, you didn't really... You wouldn't
14: say go and see it it's brilliant oh i would would you yeah i don't think yeah. i would again I yeah don't know. i would i can't put my finger on what it was but i just i don't know it, it wasn't right yeah. i didn't
13: you know didn't enjoy it no so i i hit it off with paul or i thought i did on set because paul would come down to set wouldn't he? i mean i don't know if you remember you're probably working and stuff but he'd come down to set with his pal rob Was it rob mate. Oh yeah, Rob F, yeah. And um and he'd knock about and I was really quite taken with him. Bit of a fanboy I suppose. But but then not because he was really just easy to get along with and very human and I liked his energy and mm. and he was really kind. Do you know what <sighs> I mean? I nearly went then. <laughs> he was just really kind and really yeah. generous. Yeah. Cos, like, I think if someone was playing me in a film, not that that would ever happen, but, um, I'd be a bit weirded out by it, probably. I, I don't know that he was. I was quite excited by it all.
14: Well, yeah, I suppose I did enjoy it in a way, but I didn't like it. That yeah, but it weird. wasn't a film, like... A film. Oh, no, I didn't expect it to be, really.
13: And he was just really enthusiastic. And we, I, I guess we just hit it off became friends. I liked his energy. And, and I guess we just got to know each other as friends.
0: Yeah.
13: And then obviously, time rolled on, didn't it? And then a year later, I'm back in Manchester doing a play at the Royal Exchange. And I don't know whether it was him or you who asked, like, invited me to stay or whether I invited myself, I honestly <laughs> can't remember. But I really enjoyed living there.
0: Yeah. And,
13: like, spending more time with you.
0: Yeah.
13: And, like, just hanging out and and he was making his album, his Big Arm album at the time.
11: I didn't expect to go and see like um, a drama or a film like a film. I expected it to be a bit Spinal Tappy, which it was. When
14: you see Spinal Tap gets on my nerves. I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not a great fan of Spinal
13: Tap.
2: Yeah, it was kind of loosely based on fact,
3: wasn't mm-hmm, it? Mm-hmm. Especially the Barbados thing—I was really exaggerated, yeah. like I spoke about earlier. Um, I had a little part in it. Played this uh, Manchester gangster. Don't know which one I was playing. It was like a mixture of two, uh, two of the gangsters that was around at the time. Yeah. Um, but as a movie, it was great. It was—it was really good.
2: Okay. Do you remember the day that you filmed?
3: Yes. Um, they recreated the interior of the Hacienda. Hang on a minute, you've
2: got some... Or is it a cut? Oh,
3: yeah, that's better.
2: Right, do you remember... <laughs> do you remember the day that you filmed?
3: Yeah. They, um, the uh, movie people recreated the interior of the nightclub, the Hacienda, in a big old um, Victorian warehouse in, in Manchester, which is now apartments... But the ins- it was incredible what they did. I mean, it was just like it. It was just like the real thing, but inside a big warehouse. And um, on the night of the filming, it, it was like open as a club to invited guests. and Mike Pickering DJ'd, and it was just like being inside the club. Apart from when you went to the toilet, you opened the door and it was just a brick wall there, (laughs) because it was inside a... it it was incredible what they did. Down to every dimension they had. I think they got the old... um, 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 what do you call it? Blueprints. Yeah. Off Ben Ben Kelly. Is it Ben Kelly? I think they got the old blueprints and did it all to the dimensions of the club. Yeah. What an incredible night.
1: Yeah.
3: I think Bernard Sumner said we should buy the building and keep it open. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been great. Yeah. now apartments though. Just like all the old uh, Victorian places in Ancoats.
2: And what was the part that you played, a gangster? A
3: gangster, yeah. Um extorting money off Tony.
2: Yeah.
3: Inside the club. It was, uh, I had fun doing it. I like a bit of acting.
2: Yeah, you've done quite a bit in your I've time, I've done a bit, you? yeah. What else
3: yeah. have you been in? Uh, Machine Gun Kelly video, I had the main part in that. Yeah, um, you never got paid for that. Never got paid for that. <laughs> like everything really in my life, never get paid for it. <laughs> um, uh, I had a bit part in another TV show in England. Um, I was the house band on turn on Terry oh, which yeah. is one of your programs
2: Let's have a look at it You rewrote the lyrics to sweet soul music to fit in with the show from what i remember
3: so turn on Terry.
2: Terry Christian. Yeah, yeah. And Tony Wilson and John Robb were the the regular. The,
3: there was the pundits. Uh,
2: yeah, the pundits. Yeah. There, they? And musician, author, journalist, and lovely man, John
7: Robb, has fond memories of that show. Well, Turn On Terry's like a series. It's basically a reviews programme on telly, which you made. And uh, Terry was the main host. And it was great having Paul as a house band, you know. And it's, yeah, that's, that's always the old thing about Happy Mondays, isn't you know, it? All those guys in that band, they, they work really well in showbiz, even though they were quite mad people and quite renegade people. Any opportunity, any kind of showbiz, they could do it. And it doesn't blemish them.
3: It's good being the house band. Yeah. You don't have to play a full song. Did you see the
7: soaps Did you watch the soaps So
2: what's new Let's go We didn't have a budget So mm-hmm. what we had to do was we, we got the band to come in five different outfits That's right And uh, we recorded You were like Performing all the stings between mm. the se- segments of the show, mm-hmm. and we recorded them all in one day and just rotated them throughout the series <laughs> of twenty-eight episodes.
3: You're giving away secrets. I know.
2: I know. It, it was saved us a load of money, though.
3: Yeah. It's, yeah. I enjoy a bit of acting. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: That was I'm doing acting.
3: some. Yeah. Well, it was. <laughs> kind of.
2: Kind of. Yeah. Being
3: on stage is a bit like acting. Playing the bass is a bit like acting. You know.
2: Do you enjoy being looked at by people? Hate it. So why do you enjoy acting then?
3: Because there's not an audience there.
2: But when you're on stage there is. I
3: know. That's why I get stage fright, knowing that people are looking at me.
2: Former Monday's manager Phil Sachs remembers Paul's nerves only too well.
6: Paul, of course, would be sick at the side of the stage before he went on every single night because he would always stage fright. Uh, So here's threw help at the side of the stage, go on.
2: And his mum, Linda, witnessed it too. He was never confident. He
11: did suffer terrible from nerves. Terrible from nerves. Oh, he'd be sick, he'd be running to the loo. But you must love it at the
2: same time when people
11: clap. I
3: I love being in a band. I, I like playing live, but I don't like being looked at, you know. Play, playing in a small club is more nerve-wracking than a big arena.
2: Monday's drummer Gaz Whelan went to support Big Arm at their first gig. Well,
6: he did his Big Arm stuff, he was great, and he was, he, was, he was a great front man. I remember that, ironically, the first gig he did at King's Arms in Salford is the first gig I'm doing in a couple of weeks, and I go back, and it's really weird, and I remember walking up the stairs, there's the room upstairs, and he was shaking at the top of the stairs, I said, no-one's judging you, you'll be right, and he went... I know. I said you'd be fine. And there's a wall I went. Fucking, how are you gonna do that fucking singing everyone looking at you. And he said, and there's a
10: wall He went. I heard you.
2: Okay, so big arm was happening. you had been mm-hmm. touring with Ian Brown.
3: Yeah.
2: The house in France was all going well. We were renting it out. Mm-hmm. And then we'd invited. One of my good friends, Rosemary Barrett, who was a journalist for the Manchester Evening News, Mm -hmm. and she did some writing for the Sunday Mirror. Yeah. She was coming over with her husband and four kids. Four kids. To come and do a travel feature featuring our property.
3: Yeah.
0: We were heading for the ferry at Dover and all, I, all I, I remember is that we were running really late and it was really stressful. And then as we were coming down into Dover, you come down a hill, I could see the ferry leaving the port. And I thought, oh no, because you were, you were planning something. I think we were going to go out to an Italian restaurant, weren't we? And um, I thought, oh no, that's scuppered the plans. Um, so I remember we got to the port and uh myself or John rang you just to say oh look we've missed the ferry and we've got to hang around and wait for the next one and you said oh uh that's fine I'll get maybe we won't go out for the uh Italian we'll I'll get Paul to light the fire <laughs> in, in put the fire on because it hasn't been lit all year or something we were we'll light the fire and get it warmed up and we'll have takeaway so we thought, great, that sounds fantastic. Get the, get the fire on. But then we didn't realise that when we got there, there was an actual fire. Um, so when we were on the, the boat, that was it. We, were, we, we came over on the boat. And then as we were coming into land at the other side, there's a, a voice message from you, which John um, reads out to me. And he says, um, anja's just left this message about maybe not to come because the chateau's on fire. So I laughed and I went, oh God, she's just joking. That's not, you know, that, it's, it's, you know, she's joking. That's not real. And he went, why would she, why would she joke about that? And I, I was absolutely convinced that it was just like a little practical joke. Anyway, it wasn't. <laughs> so I remember as, I think you'd said, maybe you should stay in the port or get some accommodation. We're thinking, we have no idea what we're going to do. So anyway, we ended up making our way over to see you, didn't we, in the the village, and um, arrived and followed the plumes of smoke. (laughs) Arrived to find you, think, taking a wee in the bushes.
2: And at the same time, we had two guys that were antique experts mm-hmm. that we were potentially going to do a show f- with yeah with them showing people around antique shops in
15: France and my mm-hmm. friend
2: Alan Howard was with us
15: i'd been there the week beforehand um and my ex-wife um and kids were in the in the in the top floor in the James Bond suite with the um the golden sparkly bath that was like the king of kitsch room it was it was superb that day we'd gone out to view a um, potential brocante um, uh, little markets in Calais. And while we were there we get a phone call from Paul saying, oh, I think we've got a problem, I think the roof might be on fire. Um, and one of the things that I remembered actually prior to this was that Paul's way, Paul, Paul loved a roaring fire and I'll never forget what he used to do. I mean we got a fire here. <laughs> And what you do is you you put like a half a matchbox size of of firelighter and a couple of bits of kindling in and then you kind of build it up slowly, but not if you're Paul. If you're Paul, you grab a handful of firelighters, you put two foot of kindling on, you throw a match on and it goes, and the flames go roaring up the chimney. Um, And that was Paul's way of starting the fire. And he's right, it (laughs) was a roaring fire. Um, But... On this particular occasion, we get a phone call from Paul saying, I think we've got a problem. I think the roof's on fire. So there was me, Alan Howard, and the two
2: antique guys. Mm-hmm. You and Sonny and Chico were in the house. I was out with Alan and the two antique guys. Yeah, yeah. Jo- uh, Rosemary and her husband, John, and their four kids were on the way. They were on the ferry in Dover.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, I got a phone call from you
3: <laughs> God, saying...
2: Yeah. I've never heard you so panicked, ever, Mm. I don't think, saying, Mm. what number do I call for the fire brigade?
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, (laughs) Tell me about that, what happened.
3: Well, the roof was on fire.
2: So you talk. go back a bit. So you were sitting in the living room, the boys were on the Xbox.
3: Yeah, and I had a fire going, a real fire in the fireplace. Yeah. Which was... uh, It was pretty, it was roaring, it was a nice fire, because it was a winter's night. Yeah. It was, I think it was... October. October, yeah. So it was lovely and warm, and um, I looked up and saw, like, the roof was on fire. The ceiling, that's when I called you, saying, it's on fire, what do I do? (laughs)
2: Coming up on the next episode. I thought of something really funny
3: that happened. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to tell the story going to Cannes <laughs> to the film festival. <laughs>
10: Michael Wintermasm was so blown away by his acting. He just said that he really plays Sinister well to play this, um, secure what, what are you going to call them, but the gangsters, really, who ran the door. Um, and, yeah, and he was really impressed with his acting.
3: I was very relieved during the movie that when he was on the tour bus, naked, that when he turned round, he had a big cock. I know! (laughs) I was so pleased, It was like, yeah, go on.
2: (laughs) There was a duality there around one person that was an addict and a real desperate, desperate addict, and another person I couldn't relate to that. Just wasn't an addict, um, and I think I think for me, if I'm if I'm really looking in, I think there was a, a lot of sorrow about from him about the fact that he was an addict and just didn't want to be.
3: He smiled at me and said, "I'm a race car driver from the seventies, and uh, I'm supposed to be dead." And he was like, "No, what no do, way."
14: What do you mean by that?
3: Well, he faked his own death.
2: We're playing out with John Pennington, aka Gianni Panettoni's remix of Big Arm's Sunrays, which was actually a bit of a club hit in Ibiza when everyone thought it was Moby's remix. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a nice review and rating. And please join our special club by becoming a patron of the show. Go to patreon.com forward slash the Paul Ryder tapes and join us as a special founding member new limited edition merch is being released first to our patrons so don't miss out go to our website at paulrider.tv for links to our socials and our shop and we'll be back next week same time same place thank you to all our guests and of course big love and respect as usual goes to the star of the show the late and great Paul Anthony Ryder Do you know much about names that he used to give people?
13: (laughs) No, I didn't know. I didn't know this until the funeral. Victor said he went through the list of names, didn't he? Yeah. And there was one for Ian Brown and there was Paul Popple Crazy for me, which made me laugh. Coming from one of the Happy Mondays.